A preacher's job consists partially of spending his time in God's Word, and partially in preaching that Word, and also in spending time with God's people. In regard to the latter half, you are going to, I'm going to ask that you forgive my trespasses tonight. I have taken on something. I don't know what it is, but I'm not 100%. And so I uh, spent what part of the afternoon I could resting, and I'm going to preach this. And uh, immediately after what will no doubt be revival in the church, um, I will, uh, after I've tended to all the responses and baptisms, uh, will immediately go and get in my car and go home. So I, I appreciate those of you who have left a buffer zone between the pulpit, myself, my apologies to the teens and to Shannon who may catch something if I preach too hard. I'll try not to. On Sunday nights, we're talking about God's amazing grace, which is looking at stories of grace throughout the Old Testament and the New alike. Um, my premise for this is the idea that we think of God's grace in the eternal sense, but not as much in the everyday sense. And the Bible is chock full of God's grace given to his people uh, all throughout the story. And so we're going to look at those stories. Tonight I begin with the question, what was the worst punishment you ever received? Now I'm the oldest child in my family, so as you of course would no doubt surmise, I didn't have to be punished very much. Oldest children are uh, often the best of uh, all the children. I was waiting for an amen on that. Some of you firstborns are not paying attention. I did have a few punishments here and there, and some of which I've talked about. Now, one of the worst ones that I can remember, there was a period of time when my mother and stepdad wanted horses. And uh, they wanted those in our, our backyard. We lived on a, I believe it was a two or three acre tract, and they had uh, set out an area where they had for the uh, horses to be penned in. But the pens weren't there. The, pen, the posts were not there, and so the, the posts needed to be put in. And what my stepdad dreamed up, I guess, was the idea that of pounding posts. If you don't know what pounding posts is, I pray to God that you never have to experience it. It is drudgery. It is terrible. It is exactly as terrible as it sounds. You're standing next to a piece of wood. Uh, the the uh, we, For whatever reason, I do not know why we didn't believe in cement. must have been some sort of religious belief or something. I don't know what it was. We, we were standing there, and the dirt was around the post in the hole, and you just had to pack it in. And you had this this other packer, and you put on gloves, and you just pound it, pound it, and pound it. And I just remember that. And we didn't like to do it, obviously, my brother and I. But uh, that made for an effective punishment. When we did something wrong or needed to be corrected, it was off to the posts to pound posts. Even after all the posts were in, uh, they needed to be secured from time to time. People ask me why I am not a big fan of horses. Uh, That probably had something to do with it. Uh, There's another story involving that, but we're running out of time and you're looking bored with my stories. So... Tonight, in a series on grace, we're going to learn about the first punishments that were ever received, not just by you and I, but in this account of Adam's race. 
You're going to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 24. I'm going to read from there, and I'm going to uh, start in verse 8 and be reading from the English Standard Version. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? He said, Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." The woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be to the, shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made Adam, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is God's word from Genesis chapter 3. Verses 28, uh, verse 8 through 24, rather. The first thing that we see is that sin led to consequences. Uh, consequence number one is that the relationship changed. The scripture says they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to him and said to him, where are you? The beauty of our original relationship to the creator changed beyond our ability to understand. You and I have never known such a relationship. We've never been able to walk, even though we sing that wonderful song, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me. Uh, No, we can sing about that, but we don't fully understand the concept of walking with God, at least as it was in the beginning. I believe we can walk with God, but it's not the same. It's different. The beauty of our 
original relationship was changed forever. The relationship became irreconcilable, reconcilable, and they knew that it had changed so that they were hiding from the one that they loved and from the one who loved them. Consequence number two is that they, for the first time, feared God. They were afraid of God. Verse 10, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. It wasn't like God didn't know where they were, and it wasn't like God didn't know what they had done. But man was afraid and thought he could hide himself. The same is true today. Many times we wander away from God or do something that we know is wrong, that we know that he specifically says is wrong, and we somehow believe that we can hide. It is no coincidence then that many sinful things happen in the dark. There, there's something about the darkness that, that is within our nature that makes us somehow foolishly and falsely believe that we can hide what happens in the dark from the one who is in unapproachable light. They fear the one who loved them. I, I give only this example, and I realize it's a faulty one because not everyone can relate. But for you parents and grandparents, imagine your child whom you love uh, with all your heart, and you come home one day, and they are, they are not just afraid in the, in the whimpering kind of way, but they are deeply afraid of you. They run from you. They hide. They don't want to be in your presence because they're so afraid. It, it's a disturbing thought. But to a greater degree, what, that's what happened here in Genesis chapter 3. Loving, good, gracious God goes to walk with his creation, knowing what they had done. And sin, as it often does, forces his creation into hiding because of their fear. No creature is hidden from his sight, we continue, but all are naked to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We lost our innocence in that moment, and shame began to rear its ugly head, and also blame began to take hold, which is consequence number three. Who told you that you were naked? Well, uh, the man says it was the woman. I blame my wife. The wife says it was a serpent. And the serpent gets no chance to defend himself. He's simply punished. Since the first sin, we have, for the most part, upon coming into, into in, uh, face-to-face with our sin, have been unable or unwilling, or perhaps both, to own up to our sin. A side point here, uh, there is a lesson about the difference between accepting blame and spreading blame. Spreading blame is always a, a telltale sign of weakness and poor leadership. Leaders take responsibility. And I'll give you one example from history. Uh, June 6, 
1944, D-Day, um, the day before that day, uh, General Eisenhower wrote a letter dated, uh, actually dated July 5th, but it was really written on June 5th, the day before. And uh, here's what he wrote. Our landings in the Chorborg Havari area have failed to gain a satisfactory foothold, and I have withdrawn the troops. My decision to attack at this time and place was, best, was based upon the best information available. The troops, the air, and the navy did all that bravery and devotion to duty could do. If any blame or fault attaches to the attempt, it is mine alone. That's leadership. He expected victory. He wanted victory. But he knew if it failed, it would be a miserable failure and fingers would go pointing. And he stepped up and said, if it fails, it's mine. That's leadership. A couple of weeks ago, there was an uh, alert that went out over cell phones in Hawaii that there was a nuclear missile headed toward Hawaii. This is not a drill. People were scared, rightfully so, for their lives. Turned out just to be a mistake. But as near as I can tell, no one owned up to the mistake. Uh, the governor came out and said he was sorry and said it surely shouldn't have happened. But when it came down to the person who accidentally pushed the button or clicked the software, he'd just been reassigned. That's poor leadership. It was blamed on the software, blamed on the button, blamed on uh, their inabilities. But no one stepped up to take responsibility. It's been a part of our nature since the sin to, by default, tend to want to blame. Anytime you see blame happening, you're seeing the marks of an immature person. Anytime you see someone accepting blame, you're seeing somebody who's matured into possibly a leader. The consequences of sin, there were a multitude of them, but I gave you three. If you paid attention, the relationship changed. Number two, our emotions changed. We feared God. And the third one was blame reared its ugly head. Then came punishment. Why punishment? How could a loving God punish the ones he loved? I mean, if he loves them, why not just let this one slide? I mean, really? Isn't God being a little bit harsh? Just overeating just a, a tiny piece of fruit? I mean, at least they were trying to eat healthy. Because God is perfectly just. We look at it from the wrong, as, as creatures of the dirt, we have such limited, limited understanding. And it is to me so terribly irreverent to put this on God. It wasn't that God had kept them from everything. God had provided them a perfect world. They could have eaten any tree they wanted to. They could have had anything they want. This was literal utopia in the garden. God said, there's one thing. Don't touch that one. And that's, that's exactly what the enemy tried to twist their thinking uh, to go for that one. And so because God is perfectly just, he had to punish. Uh, because he could have been uh, extremely merciful, but left out justice, it would have been a problem. Because it defies his nature because he's perfectly holy and just. So he deals out the punishments, and each of these punishments, it's a great lesson for parents. They are perfect 
for the one who's being punished. He doesn't just have a one-size-fits-all approach. He, he deals out punishment in exactly the right way uh, for each uh, person, creature that he's dealing with. First, uh, he deals with the serpent. He, and his job there is to humiliate him, to bring him low. So he does this physically, makes him crawl in the dirt. Um, it's fitting because he led Adam, who was created from the dust, and so now he would, for the rest of his life, have to live in the dust to remind him of what he had done. Spiritually, he would have to cower to the throne. He said, I will put enmity between you and you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If you're paying attention here, if you're looking in your Bible, you, you look from the moment that Eve partook of the fruit is verse 6. The sin comes into the world. Nine verses later is this verse, the Messianic prophecy. This didn't surprise God. God knew that sin would come in, and he already had a remedy for it. Now, was it fully explained here? No. But we, of course, understand Genesis 3.15 is speaking toward the one who would eventually stomp the head of the ancient serpent. Second punishment is humbling the woman. Uh, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Um, I am quite inept to speak with expert opinion on this matter. But physically, pregnancy seems to affect the female body in drastic ways. And, and it's not just during the pregnancy, but then as she gives birth, the labor that goes along with that, the pain that comes into that. Women have died in childbirth because it's so intense. Perhaps you have seen uh, videos on social media where they, they, they fit men with electrodes around uh, their bodies and, and they subject their muscles to the same kind of contractions that happen during labor. And, and the men are just left in tears. And to all the women are just thrilled that this can be done. But you see, this is a fitting punishment because only through great pain would she deliver forth one whom she loved. It's not just fitting, it's prophetic. Emotionally, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. That he shall rule over you. Um, if you are not aware of this fact, I should bring it to your attention. Ready? To write it down? Okay, here goes. Women think differently than men. Got that? You need more time? You need me to repeat that? You probably got it already. And yet in the male-female relationship, the female who thinks much differently, and in many ways thinks through things better. And yet in that relationship, God makes the husband the head. Eve led her husband into sin. Now, I'm not blaming Eve. It was Adam's fault. And by the way, not because he listened to his wife, but because he knew the command of God, and despite what the command of God was, he listened to what his wife said. Which is a great lesson for us about the family dynamics and our relationship with the Lord. But now Eve would be led by Adam. And her desire would be, my way's better. 
You know, her desire was to usurp him. Her desire is to take control. I'm looking at the crowd now, realizing I'm getting into politically incorrect territory, so I probably should move on. The third thing he gets into is hiring the man. So he's humiliated the serpent, he's humbled the woman, now he's hiring the man. Of course, he makes Adam, gives him the work allotment, the work requirement. Um, And work is a good thing, but it's part of the broken world. It's not part of what God originally designed. Prior to this, Adam and Eve both were innocent children of the king, blessed with the unearned favor of the king's wealth. A day or two ago is a story about Bill Gates's daughter. Um, she's doing okay, all right. She's got an Instagram account that shows how you know she travels the world and has all this money to spend and does all these great things. Well, that's to be expected. Her dad's a multi-billionaire. Okay? In a spiritual sense, we were multi-trillionaires. That, that gift was freely accessible to us in the garden. But now, Adam would only have access to it by earning it through his mental, physical, and emotional labor. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. So Adam brings forth sin. He defies God. He disobeys God. And God punishes him by making him earn the blessings that he'll enjoy in his life. And again, work's not a bad thing, but we need to remember also that work was part of the punishment, part of the new system that we live under. Well, with those three punishments in mind, we realize quickly, and the scriptures point to the fact that sin needs a sacrifice. Verse 20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and he. And his, for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. Adam and Eve by themselves sewed coverings for themselves that were made only of fig leaves. They're self-made coverings, as you might try to imagine, were inadequate and insufficient to the task. They could not hold up. I've never worn fig leaves before. I hope I don't have to. But... um, What they tried to do themselves to amend for the guilt and shame of their sin is the point the Scripture is trying to point out. Adam's uh, sins, Eve's sins, there's punishment for that. Their response is uh, making fig leaf coverings for themselves. How very little has changed within Adam's race. We often try to cover our sins with things that are insufficient and inadequate to the task. Their reaction has been the same reaction as ours. Hiding, shame, blame. I'll tell you this story if you promise that it stays in here and you never share the podcast with my seven-year-old daughter. If you agree to that, go like this. All right, seeing the majority of heads in assent, and uh, for those that didn't shake, I know who you are. 
My wife goes into the kitchen, and she, out of the corner of her eyes, hears the kind of a crumpling sound. She's wondering what's happening. She kind of turns around to see what's happening, if the dog's into something or what have you, and she sees the light on in the pantry. And she sees a shadow that's about this high. And she opens the door, and in, or in, inside is the guilty seven-year-old. Uh, lips brown-stained all the way around. Grace, what were you doing? Head goes down. Eating chocolate. Now, Chrissy's doing everything she can to crack up during this. She needs to be a serious parent. Just don't want the kids doing this. Um, but I laugh because I, she is her mother's daughter. And, you know, I've caught her a few times in the pantry myself, okay? But in that moment, she did, she, she reverted all the way back to Eve. Shame. Now, she didn't try to blame her brother, brother because she was caught in the act. If she could have found a way, believe me, she would have. But it, it's within us. It's the same thing. When we have sin, we hide, we blame, we're immersed in shame. And for all our responses and all the consequences to sin, none of them take care of the problem. None of them fully remedy. None atone, none amend, none ameliorate what has been done. There's only one who can do that. And so God did that. He killed an animal, which is a small, tiny little side point here that God is clearly not a a member of PETA. An innocent creature shed its innocent blood and body to atone for sin by someone else. God made the garments for them. He did that which they could not do. We'll get over to the story not too many weeks now from now, but remember in, when Abraham went up to offer Isaac. And Isaac asked his father, where is the sacrifice? The fire and the wood are here. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham wisely, prophetically says, God himself will provide the lamb. It was true in Genesis 22 and it's true in Genesis 3. The sacrifice, the atonement for sin comes through a sacrifice which came by a Savior. The, 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 the worst consequence, of course, is being banished from the tree of life. Not being allowed back into the original home, the perfect world, as it once was. The final consequence was the most severe, but yet the most necessary. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you earn what you've done to earn, when you receive a paycheck and you get your pay stub, that's a number reflecting the value you are to that company. Not necessarily how valuable you are, but how valuable you are to that company. That's what you've earned. Well, if we could take a pay stub with sin, what you earn there is death. A banishment from the tree of life. A sinless God could not have sinful presence, though he loved us so much. And so we are driven out and we cannot get back on our own. It is impossible. And yet God was already executing a plan that would bring us back to the tree, ironically, through a tree and through an execution. Sin, consequences, punishment, sacrifice, Savior. We see 
in multitudes God's lavish grace to Adam and Eve. You and I have sin in our life, and that sin has consequences. Sometimes they are immediate, sometimes they are eventual. Sometimes they are physical, sometimes they are emotional, but they are always eternal. The wages of sin always has eternal consequence. Your sin leaves you naked, and you are unable to cover it by yourself. God made a sacrifice to cover you. A perfect sacrifice, not an animal sacrifice, but a perfect one to atone for your sin through the shedding of his blood, Jesus Christ. But we end by saying this, he will not force his grace upon you or upon anyone. So the question is, will you accept it? Will you let him cover you? Will you let him atone? Will you let him draw you back to the tree that gives life? Tonight, if you're needing to do that, the invitation is yours. I'll meet you down front. If we can help in any way, please come as we stand and sing.